0: Today on Not Sam Wrestling, the guys from Dark Side of the Ringer here. Speaking of documentaries, I got to talk about that Randy Savage documentary. Ava Marie is back and a whole lot more. This is Not Sam Wrestling.
1: This is Not Sam Wrestling.
0: Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Sam Roberts. I can already feel how triggered a lot of you were by that intro, mentioning Eva Marie coming back to Monday Night Raw, something that we found out just a week ago, those those uh, vignettes started running. And man, oh man, do people feel one way or another about that. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling, first and foremost. I uh, hope you're all doing well. Hope that you're subscribed uh, on whatever platform that you're watching on. If you could do me a favor, go over to Apple, leave a rating, leave a five-star review or a five-star rating and review. I don't know how any of it works, but just click the things that you got to click to let people know that you're enjoying this podcast. Um, Because people definitely, you know, it's important to let other people know how you feel about some of these products that are being put out here by Not Sam Wrestling, whether it's the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Not Sam Wrestling, the Patreon, patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. Uh, and I think that anybody that creates content needs to have people making their voices heard as far as the decisions that are being made. That's exactly what we got on Monday night raw last week when the vignettes started playing that Eva Marie was back. Now again, this is bad timing. Um, Anybody that's debuting within the next eight weeks, is in a rough spot. I thought that way about the two announcers that joined the crew. I feel the same way about Eva Marie, that you are instantly going to be compared to, oh, what? So we lost this so we could get that? And yeah, this fits that narrative, because even before when I was like, hey, man, different budgets for different departments, the announcing department is not the same as the talent department, and you wanted a budget, well, Eva Marie is a talent. And you freed up money in the talent uh, department budget. Why? So you could hire back Eva Marie? And I mean, I don't know if there's such a distinct correlation between talents. I don't know if they sat there and said, well, Samoa Joe is great and all, but we got to have Eva Marie. Like, I don't know that that's the conversation that officially happened. The only reason that I think that's not what happened is because there have been rumors for months now that Eva Marie has been re-signed. There were rumors like... From the beginning of this year, I feel like, if not before, that Eva Marie was floating around the PC or she was floating around the Thunderdome or that her return was imminent. Remember that week that, like, Melina was returning to WWE? Remember that? Everybody forgets that that was, like, confirmed. That was a report that went out. Hey, guys, just so you know, Melina is back full-time. And then Melina and everybody else were like, "Mm mm-mm, no, what, Uh uh-uh. And everybody was like, okay, so? She's not back full-time. But around that same time is when the Eva Marie report started coming out. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, I haven't talked to her. Women like that don't show me the time of day. But I don't know exactly when she was re-signed or how long she's been signed for. Uh, I do think it's it's a little (laughs) unfair to her to uh, compare her to any of your beloved stars that uh, were released. Although, I mean, it's human nature, right? Like, you know. If I got released and then somebody showed up, I'd be like, that guy's not better than me. So, you know, I get it. Uh, But independent of who was released, right? Because I'm not going to sit here and say, Mickey James should have ever been released. You know, this is a woman who has not only got a legendary stature in the business, but she can still go in the ring and obviously was learning the skills of being a color commentator and a, a panel host. Which to be a great host on a pre-show panel, you have to have an incredible, incredible amount of talent. Uh, which she was getting there. You know, trust me when I tell you. I mean, come on. NXT TakeOver pre-shows? Who's got more experience than this guy? Who's got two thumbs and loves hosting NXT pre-show panels? This guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I said what I said about Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. I never say that you should get rid of the Iconics. Oh, my God. I think that they're such a treasure. I think that there's so much value there. And I think once the Chelsea Green the same way, I think once those 90-day uh, non-competes start to run out, uh, I think you're going to see how much that a lot of those talents that were released uh, can benefit the business. And I would also assume that a lot of the ta- – or, or, or at least a handful of the talents that were released uh, a couple weeks ago, a month ago at this point, whatever, after WrestleMania – you're going to see that they're going to prove how much value they have in the wrestling industry, especially as shows start to open up again and we start seeing fans in the building and the independent scene starts to thrive again. And I think that those people are probably going to increase their values and they're going to end up back in WWE making more money than they were making before. Or at least I would hope that that would be the case. But that's, that to me, I am trying to look at it separately to be fair. To Eva Marie, because if there's one thing we need to do, it's be fair to Eva Marie. I mean, for the love of God, would you be fair? I'm like Bobby Heenan and Ric Flair. Be fair to Eva Marie. And look, people are gonna say what they're gonna say. You know, she got very famous on Total Divas. You know, one of the one of the one of the big breakout stars of the first seasons of Total Divas. She was never a, a, a Ric Flair or a Shawn Michaels greatest worker of all time caliber person i guess she's almost like but i thought she was used so well in her last run cuz she was almost like a throwback to the diva's era in the sense that she there was just so much uh sexuality to her character uh and and so much character there right like like uh, most of eva marie was that character but she did it so well that I found her to be such a tremendous asset. I remember being really upset when she left WWE. I mean, right before she left, if you remember, I think it was it was right around the the new brand split was still pretty new. And I want to say Eve Marie was a Smackdown superstar. I want to say. I haven't looked any of this up. But she was doing that gimmick where like she would show up in the ring and her bootlace wouldn't tie or her strap was unstrapped, or something would happen, and she would come up with excuses to not wrestle. Like she would come up with reasons why she couldn't compete in the match that night. So you'd get the big entrance, you'd get the, you know,, uh, you know, uh, look in front of you and gaze at the magnificence that is. Eva, Marie, movie announcer voice guy. And she'd come out all the pageantry and the robe and the music and the light show and the everything, and then she wouldn't even have the match. And she did that a few times, and then, you know, she ended up gone. I guess she got uh, some kind of uh, suspension because I remember she—I think she was supposed to have a match. Maybe it was SummerSlam. I—I I, want to say it was SummerSlam. She was supposed to have a match years ago, and. She ended up not having it, I think due to the suspension, but in my mind's eye, like the announcer guy comes on and he goes, Eve Marie will not be performing tonight. And I'm like, what a way to get out of it. It works for the story. It's hilarious. Um and you know, and she didn't come back after that, unfortunately. I think she made the choice not to, if I remember right. But I you know, I I think that that I'm I'm never against having new personalities added to the women's division, you know, I, I I think that we're still in a place in the WWE where so much of the women's division revolves around who's the champion. Like it's the same story so often, which is like, we'll give these women the time of day if they're fighting over the title. But if it's just a grudge match or if it's the tag team championship, you know, you're going to get the same thing every week or you're just not going to get effort put into the story, which I think is a crime. I think that that's I'm not a literal crime, but I, I think it's terrible. You know, I think that, that, that there should be more flushed out stories. I think there's no reason why, uh, non a, a women's match that is not about a championship. I don't think there's any reason it couldn't be showcased at a big pay-per-view. So I think I look at Eva Marie coming in as a big positive, You know, I think she is going to, she does bring star power. People know who she is, whether they like her or not. She is coming in as like a star and they are building her up to be a star. Uh, I think she's going to get booed when she comes in, which again is not the worst thing in the world. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what she does as a heel. It could be terrible. I don't know, but I'm at least optimistic at the character work that we'll be able to get inside the women's division and to freshen things up, you know, to make it so, you know, it's not the same thing we're seeing every week now. It's Something new, there's a new face, there's a new personality. I think it's ultimately a good thing, you know? I think uh, it's weird that we don't see Reginald get the rub on Raw that he gets on SmackDown. I like seeing Reginald and uh, the intergender, like I love seeing him get squashed by Tamina. Some people don't, some people, but it's like, you know, Reginald is not there to get in any offense ever, whether he's wrestling a male or a female, or I don't care how you identify Reginald's not there to get offense. Reginald is there to get his ass kicked. So the idea that Reginald could do some Cirque du Soleil flips and then have Tamina squash him. I think it works best for everybody. And it's even to me more obnoxious that, you know, that Reginald is like such a nuisance, you know, he's costing people matches but he is not able to be effective in the ring himself. I think that it's great. Uh, I'm I'm a Reginald fan. I just think it's weird that because Nia and Shayna are just as much on Raw as they are on SmackDown, but Reginald really appears to be a SmackDown property. So I I I I don't know. I don't get that. Um, speaking of SmackDown, few big stories this week. One of them was uh the AEW Blood and Guts show, which we really did a big analysis of on the Thursday, Not Sam Thursday podcast. We did a whole breakdown. uh, Quick highlights on it. Uh, I thought that the they did a pretty good job in the match of displaying what AEW does differently. You know, I, I found myself like, whoa, look at, like, it looks different. The cage looks super impressive. Like, I thought it was really cool. Um, I thought it was fairly unforgivable that we didn't get to see MJF and Chris Jericho escape the cage that they were in commercial break for it. I thought it was fairly unforgivable that when FTR was tearing up the ring that uh, it was picture in picture. And, you know, as far as the Chris Jericho bump at the end of the night goes, it's not a matter of, oh, if you're going to do that bump, you should really get hurt by it. Like, nobody nobody is advocating for that. Nobody is saying you should not fall onto crash pad. You should only fall onto concrete. Anybody who you see making the argument that, now fans want this guy to kill himself? No fans are making that argument. I don't even know where that argument is coming from. It's not either or. It's a false equivalency. No, it's not either you fall into like a, a, a super obvious crash pad or you break your neck on concrete. That's not the argument. It all comes back to TV production. It all goes back to like if you need to throw Jericho off the cell, hit a wide shot. Make it so that we don't see the impact on the floor. That's it. That's all you have to do. Everything would be fine. MJF throws Chris Jericho off the top of the cage. Go to a wide shot. We see Chris Jericho falling. We see how big the cage is. He falls, and then we, when we do a close up, he's dented into the floor already. The problem was the way the floor came up, the way the cardboard came up, and everything. That's it. That's the that that's the issue. I think it 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 that moment took away a lot. It didn't take away from the fact that it was a brutal match, you know? And I think that uh, you should not sit there and, and take anything away from any of those performers for what they did in that match. But I just think that it's one of those things that's going to come in time, you know? I don't think that the, uh, if I were them, that's where I'd put my uh, money. You got the talent, you know? You got the You got the match quality and everything. Just get in there and figure out how to properly show everything on TV the way you need to show it. Um, we talk a lot about uh, New Kayfabe here on the show and how Daniel Bryan is, to me, the king of New Kayfabe. And within the last seven days, I guess 10 days now, that has never been more obvious. When we listen to Daniel Bryan interviews, it's almost like he doesn't care about shooting. Like, everything feels like a little bit more of a shoot than it should, you know. He was talking about his WrestleMania match, and he was like, "I don't know. There was just something out there. It was almost like I was having an out of body experience. You know, it didn't feel like WrestleMania to me. It didn't feel the same anymore." And you're like, "Oh wow, I'm surprised he'd be that candid." You know, when he's doing interviews and he's saying, uh, "Oh, I, I want to wrestle in other places as well as WWE." Like, "Oh man, this Daniel Bryan guy is. He he, there's no filter with him." That's what you think. He just tells it like it is, and then nobody. No dirt sheet, no Meltzer, no Wade Kel, nobody had reported this. But then this news story comes out. I saw Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful post it first uh, that Daniel Bryan's contract actually expired midnight last Friday after his Loser Leaves Town match with Roman Reigns. His legit contract legit expired on that day, and you're like, "How could this be happening? How could it be that convenient, and how could nobody have known? Because of new K fame, because Brian knows exactly what he's releasing and what he's not releasing. And the fact that even like the most inside of the dirt sheet writers didn't know this was happening means that every there's a, such a Daniel Bryan is a chess player, okay, guys? And I don't mean Daniel Bryan, I mean Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson plays chess. Brian Danielson doesn't even know how to play checkers. He doesn't have time for it. He's too busy looking at rooks, knights, kings, and queens. And he goes right through the pawns, okay? He's not, you know, one of these J-brones putting red chips and black chips together. What's that? No. He's playing chess every step of the way. And we take for granted That this Daniel Bryan contract status is just a shoot of all shoots. As if Daniel Bryan is above releasing this information falsely. Or as if Daniel Bryan is above releasing this information when it's true, although there kind of already is a deal in the works. Daniel Bryan is the last of a dying breed. This is how you work a generation that is smart a generate every wrestling f- there's no marks anymore it's only smarks the only ones left are smarks there's no reason to work the marks anymore because the marks only watch half the shows anyway it's the smarks you got to work if you can work the smarks then you're going to get the marks too <laughs> and daniel bryan works the smarks that should be his new shirt bryan works smarks Because, look, Daniel Bryan is going to be the one. It's like CM Punk, man. CM Punk worked. Even when you thought he was shooting, brother was working. That's the way everything should be. You give away enough that people think it's a shoot because they're waiting for the shoot. And then you keep this little thing in your back pocket. That's the work. It's got to be based in reality, but there's the work. Daniel Bryan is absolutely going to pop up Somewhere, whether it's, I doubt it'll be back on SmackDown first. You never know. Like, I hope Daniel Bryan's not leaving WWE, first of all. I don't think. I don't think Daniel Bryan's leaving WWE. I do think to some degree that the way he was talking in interviews, the way he was popping off at the mouth, I think that uh, the WrestleMania stuff, I think wanting to work elsewhere, I think months ago, talking about he could be at the end of his career. Like, I think all these little uh little Easter eggs thrown out in these interviews. It was half to work the smarks because Brian Danielson works the smarks. Half to work the smarks. And the other half was, I think, uh, uh, negotiating. You know, letting WWE know, hey, this is where my mind's at. Now it's public. So there's no taking it back. You know, that's part of it. And I I respect that more than I respect anything. So I don't think Brian's leaving WWE. I don't think WWE would let it happen. I think that regardless of the position that Daniel Bryan has been in, look, there's a reason why... Knowing, by the way, WWE fully aware that Daniel Bryan's contract, if this is all true, that Daniel Bryan's contract runs out, what was it, three weeks after WrestleMania? Three weeks after WrestleMania, this dude's contract runs out. And we're adding him to the main event. We're just gonna be like, hey, just in case, like, it's one thing if you're sitting there going, like, oh, that's why he's been getting buried. That's why the burial went down. Why we're using our terms a burial. That's why he was losing to Cesaro, why he was losing to Nakamura, why he was getting buried. You know. If that was the argument, you'd be like, oh, okay, because they knew his contract was winding down. But the fact that even after the burial of the century, <laughs> which it was not. I think Brian was responsible for most of it, to tell you the truth. But even after all that, the fact that they were like, no, we need to put him in the main event because he is clearly a main eventer. Like he was in the main event of the last night of a two night WrestleMania. You know, the whole thing now. There's literally a t shirt that Roman Reigns put out. The reason we believe in Roman Reigns is because he stacked up two of the greatest of all time and pinned them both. And you're like, well, of course they're going to put Daniel Bryan out like that in his last match. But no, no. What they did was they let the world know in that spot, Daniel Bryan is one of the greatest of all time. And if you've got a guy who's about to be on the free market, I don't think it makes sense for your business to announce to the world, the public, the fans, hey, guys, just remember, he's one of the greatest of all time. Because now, if he were to sign an exclusive contract with some other promotion, that promotion would be able to say, Hey, he's one of the greatest of all time. You saw it at WrestleMania. So I don't, I don't think that you won't see Daniel Bryan back in WWE. Whether he's signed or not, I don't think that you'll see. I'm sorry. I don't think that you'll see Daniel Bryan outside of WWE. I do think that you will see him back in WWE. However, I would not be surprised to see him pop up in other places. You know, uh, I think that that WWE, I I could see them starting to cooperate with other organizations as fans come back. You know, something to, I I think WWE's got to figure out how to have a hot summer. I think that you are going to see people back in arenas this summer. And I think WWE, like, look, UFC is doing everything they can. UFC has a Conor McGregor fight coming up. Like, UFC is like, we got to fill an arena every month coming out of covid we got to look strong coming out of this pandemic we got to have hot fights now imagine if you're ufc except you're putting on two to three tv shows a week two tv shows because nxt i'm sure will still be you know where nxt has always been either in the performance center or full sale or something but you've got two tv shows a week that are going to be in arenas. And then a pay-per-view every four weeks, it's going to be in an arena. That's a lot of arenas. And you're going to want to come close to selling them out, right? You're going to want to sell tickets. You got to come back hot, 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 like fire. I think, and I hope, I should say I hope, the WWE has learned from the Summer of Punk. The WWE's Summer of Punk. Ring of Honor, Summer of Punk, immaculate. WWE's Summer of Punk, ooh, oh boy. This guy walks out on the company at the end of June. He's back for SummerSlam, you know, an angle with Kevin Nash. Like, come on, guys. What were we thinking? What were we thinking? Daniel Bryan, on the other hand, I do foresee, and I, I, I think that part of, you know, keeping the summer hot is, look, the same way at one point WWE was like, Let's get a partnership going with ECW. Let's get some stuff going over there. Let's get something going with Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Let's get something going with USWA. Let's get something going with all these. Let's let's do stuff. You know? I think that I think that WWE is going to see that. And I think that WWE is going to be invested in keeping the industry alive. I don't, you know, I don't think you're going to see partnerships with AEW, but I think the idea of keeping the industry alive outside of WWE and AEW is something that the WWE is going to want to do. WWE wants independent wrestling to be strong. WWE wants an area where they can have a strong talent pool that's being built. It's difficult to create new stars if you're the only game in town. And I think that, that I I hope that the WWE uses Daniel Bryan. I'm not going to say I think, I hope. That the WWE uses Daniel Bryan to puts inject some lifeblood and bring back the independent scene. And when I mean the independent scene, I don't. and this isn't a, to downgrade anybody, but I basically mean anybody that's not WWE or AEW or NXT. I mean anybody that's not backed by a billionaire. Any company not backed by a billionaire. I think WWE is going to, you're going to see say, and I think the same about AEW, you know, I don't think you see uh, John Moxley showing up in GCW blood sport. You see the partnership they've got with impact with A. Like, you know, I'm not saying this is exclusive to WWE. I, I, I just hope this is where WWE's head is at where WWE goes. Okay. Well, what if, what if we started working with ring of honor a little bit, you know, what if we, what if we maybe make sure that ring of honor can afford to bring Samoa Joe in for a few matches. And what if we get Brian to work with Joe in Ring of Honor? What if we get Brian to show up at MLW? Like, what if that's how we use Daniel Bryan? Because we know that, that Daniel Bryan can have a 10-star match with anybody in the world right now. Like, what if we use him to go through the indies, the big indies, and just, you know, get that buzz going? And then once he's got that buzz about himself, he's your property. You bring him right back home. You bring him right back home and you start having him cut promos on Roman Reigns at like ML on MLW TV. This is where real wrestling is. I'm 10 times the athlete that Roman Reigns is, you know, you start having him talk that ish about Roman Reigns on like ring of honor shows on, 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 you know, Go to Joey Janela's spring break. Go to GCW. Be on the same show with John Moxley. Not in the same match, but on the same show. Come on. You don't think that's going to turn heads? And then eventually, Roman Reigns has no choice but to pull Daniel Bryan off the Indies and bring him back to SmackDown. For a match with the new Daniel Bryan. I mean, I you know, that's where I see this going. That's where I hope this goes. I think that's going to be the best for Daniel Bryan, because also as you're doing this, you're not working every week. You know, that's not the schedule. So that's what I'd really like to see. That's where I hope this goes. We'll see if that's where it goes, but that's where I hope this goes. Um, You know, uh, I've been talking here and on Thursday, Not Sam Thursday, which is the Patreon exclusive podcast. You can join our Patreon, by the way, patreon.com slash not sam wrestling for less than a dollar a week. All tiers get the bonus podcast on Thursday every week. So, you can become a not sam show at patreon.com/slash not sam wrestling. But we've been talking about how this is the golden age of wrestling documentaries. Uh I have not yet watched the uh uh, uh Archer of Infamy, WWE network doc yet. I will, because I'm a big Damian Priest fan. So I'm interested to, to to watch that. I like that they're kind of adding some character behind it. I've seen the clips where they're showing kind of how he started and and you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm very anxious to see that. They did a great job on the dudes with attitude untold. Seeing Sean and Diesel tell those stories, and you know, it was it was so much fun to watch. It and that's such an era. Sean Diesel, and it really made me think watching it. I was like, I, I, I never really realized just because Sean Michaels as a performer evolved so much from you know, nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety as a member of the Rockers to, you know, 94, 95 as the Heartbreak Kid, Intercontinental Champion, you know, starting to itch toward that WWE Championship. He was a different performer, but as a character, it was an evolution of character. It was the same guy, technically, in canon that we were watching. And it was really the first time that I watched, because the Rockers are such an iconic tag team. It's amazing that depending on how you see Shawn Michaels, you could easily argue that his partnership with Diesel was more important than his partnership with Marty Jannetty. Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty are one of the most iconic tag teams of all time. The separation of Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty has become a, a metaphor for the separation of, of any partnership of any kind. Throwing somebody through a barbershop window, everybody knows what that means. But watching this, I was like, man, but if I sat there and told you, I would probably say for me, I think the Sean diesel partnership is more important. I think the Sean diesel partnership is what brought diesel to the title and what would eventually the fact that Sean got diesel to that point, I believe is what also got Sean to that point, or at least got in the eyes of, of everybody that needed to get in front of, you know, I think that, I think that that's what made it so that people were like, Oh wow, Sean is that guy. So I loved that. Um, Dark Side of the Ring is back. We're going to have Jason and Evan, the creators of Dark Side of the Ring, on the show today. Uh, The Brian Pillman one just aired. I don't know what is airing on Vice on Thursday, but I'm excited for it. I love the Dark Side of the Ring docs. Uh, And then the A&E docs. Okay, I have not watched the Booker T doc yet at the time of this recording because, you know, got to get these podcasts out. But watch the Stone Cold one. We talked, I think we talked, I I don't know. I watched the Stone Cold one, watched the Roddy Piper one, watched the Macho Man one. And I gotta say, I was extremely disappointed in that Macho Man documentary. Uh, and and I, like, I I love a lot of people involved in it, you know? A lot of people involved in it have been on this podcast. First of all, obviously all the superstars, you know, your Kurt Hawkins, your Natty Neidhart, your R-Truths, everybody that was popping up in that doc, you know, uh, Dan Soder, obviously a favorite of mine, friend of mine. Been on this podcast, been on the live shows. Peter Rosenberg, obviously a favorite of mine, obviously a friend of mine, been on this podcast. I don't remember if we've had him on a live show or not, but he would be on a live show, you know. I've known him for I mean, 15 years at this point, it's got to be, right? Yeah, I've known him for for certainly over a decade. And Dan Soder, I, I don't know, I've known him for years as well. Billy Corbin produced the film. Billy Corbin is an gr- amazing documentary filmmaker. He does, like, uh, he's known for his Florida stories, you know. Um, He did uh, Cocaine Cowboys and Cocaine Cowboys 2. He did the U, uh, the 30 for 30 doc on Miami. Um, Most recently, he did the HBO doc uh, about the 2000 election, the vote in Florida, you know, the George Bush-Al Gore election. I think that was 2000. Um, And... And he did it, which is great. The uh, I can't remember what it's called. Swerve ball? I don't know, some kind of ball. Uh, about the steroid scandal in Major League Baseball, the Alex Rodriguez thing, and he used kids to do all the reenactments. It's great. I'm a, I am ai love the guy. I love his films. So, you know, I love a lot of people involved. But I'm a Stone Cold fan. Love to the Stone Cold doc. Just a celebration of why Stone Cold was so great. And a look into his life, but, you know, mainly a celebration of why Stone Cold is so great. Roddy Piper, I'm a Roddy Piper fan. The doc was a celebration of Roddy Piper. Went a little deeper into his personal life, but almost as a set decoration for, he went through all this and he still overcame. Like, it was a a positive piece. The Randy Savage piece was not a positive piece for Randy Savage. It was a very negative piece. Uh, You know, I, I would give it the first, if you're a fan, and you want to see a piece that kind of celebrates Macho Man? Uh, I thought the first part was interesting, talking about his baseball career and uh, starting in wrestling, and you know the territory that his dad had and everything. I thought that was cool. Starting in WWE was cool. Going over the match from WrestleMania three was cool. Everything after the WrestleMania three match, I was like, oh no! It was a lot of Hulk Hogan, and he was Hulk Hogan was not kind. A lot of Bubba the Love Sponge, which made no sense. I mean, I'm watching this doc, and I get that, like, like, the 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 macho, you know, the stories about him being paranoid and everything, but you didn't have anybody on that documentary that was talking from a firsthand perspective. I guess maybe Hogan, but nobody was talking about Macho Man's relationship and his paranoia from actually seeing it, you know? Ricky Steamboat talked about the, the way he prepared for WrestleMania 3 because he prepared with him. It was a firsthand account. I'm sitting there, and I'm watching people go talk about how, you know, awful Randy Savage was as a human being and looking at wrestling footage. And I'm like, when I saw Roddy Piper kicking Cindy Lauper in the head, nobody in the doc was going, oh, Roddy Piper was a terrible person. He just walked around kicking women in their heads. They were like, no, this is what he did on the wrestling show. You know, nobody, like, they didn't really make a case that Roddy Piper was crazy because he wouldn't do jobs for anybody. They could have, but they didn't, you know? But I just saw, they were like, oh, Randy was, he's he terrible. He was, he was crazy with Liz. Look, he didn't even want her to stand on this side of the ring. And you're like, that's the character. I'm not saying that he wasn't doing that in real life, but I didn't see any evidence that he wasn't doing it in real life. If you want to tell me that in real life he was doing that, then don't show me wrestling footage and being like, oh, now this part's a shoot, but everything else, you know. And then we go over the WrestleMania 3 match, which I loved. I loved, you know, Ricky Steamboat talking about it, talking about going piece by piece. But like as important of a match as WrestleMania 3 was, WrestleMania 3, Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat changed the way a lot of people watched wrestling. It 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 changed their appreciation because you'd seen great matches outside of WWE, like in the NWA and stuff like that, and but you hadn't really seen that style in WWE before, especially in the pay-per-view era of WWE. And for years, I mean, that was like the mark of a good match. It wasn't until I think really Bret Hart started having, being able to wrestle his style in main event matches that people were like, oh. This is what it can be like. It was Randy Savage and then it was, you know, everything Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat and then it was everything else. But as important as that match was, the build up between WrestleMania 4 and WrestleMania 5, The Mega Powers into the Mega Powers explode was maybe it's in the top 5 wrestling storylines of all time. The year long build to Hogan versus Macho at WrestleMania 5, the idea that Macho Won the title and was the second in command. A, a Hogan split and Macho was the guy. And then he turns heel and there's this amazing story going into this amazing main event at WrestleMania 5. And they didn't touch on it. Like they touched on Hogan and Macho, but they didn't talk about the storyline going from WrestleMania 4 to WrestleMania 5. And that's just as important as WrestleMania 3. They didn't talk about WrestleMania 4. They didn't talk about WrestleMania 5. They didn't talk about WrestleMania 7. Macho giving Warrior the best match of his career. They didn't talk about WrestleMania 8, Macho coming back and winning the title, even though we never thought it would happen. The story that they told of uh, Macho showing up in WCW made absolutely no sense. It could never have happened that way because I remember specifically, I was a kid. I was the biggest, Macho Man, Randy Savage was my favorite wrestler in the world. And I remember specifically watching Raw. And Vince McMahon comes on the screen and he announces that Randy Savage did not renew his contract and he's gone from WWE best wishes to Randy Savage. And it was like really weird and it was uh, jarring. And I remember specifically, and Nitro wasn't on the air yet. And I remember going, oh, I hope Macho Man doesn't show up in WCW. It was weeks later when Macho Man showed up and it was WCW Saturday night. Weeks later, before Starcade, Macho Man, that, that year, ninety four, Macho Man showed up on WCW Saturday night. So there's no way, like, Vince did not see him on WCW, and that's how he found out he was gone. I'm not saying that Vince had a heads up that he was leaving. I think by the time Vince found out Macho was leaving, Macho was gone, but he was not on WCW TV. And then they didn't talk about anything from WCW. Nothing. Like... They talked more about the radio rivalry between Bubba the Love Sponge and Macho Man than they did about Macho in the NWO. Uh Macho in DDP. Uh Macho in any literally anything that he did in WCW. All they said was that in WCW he kind of sucked. He wasn't as good as he was in WWE and then he got into fights with Bubba the Love Sponge and started a rap career. You know? And I'm I'm not saying this guy's an angel, but I am saying that, you know, I, I like it, his. He, he was not portrayed in this documentary as one of the greatest of his era. Like you did not leave this documentary going, man, Macho was awesome. Roddy Piper documentary, you left going, man, Piper was awesome. Stone Cold, Stone Cold was the man. Macho, ooh, Macho had some problems, huh? Like, they didn't even bring up, and this isn't a. I mean, it wasn't a documentary about Randy Poffo. That's the thing you got to remember, too. It's a big picture of a guy in a sequin jacket and a sequin cowboy hat. And it says the biography of Macho Man Randy Savage. Like, that's why it wasn't a biography about Roderick Toombs, it wasn't a biography about Steve Williams. These are biographies about these wrestlers and. While real life should play a big part to just ignore big parts of their careers so you can focus on issues with their personal lives or, or imperfections, I think it's like, come on, man. And maybe I'm just too big of a Randy Savage fan, but yeah, it bummed me out. It bummed me out. So, you know, hopefully some of the other ones will uh, not bum me out as much. You know what I mean? I guess, I mean I uh, I'm, I'm as I was watching. I've had a week to process it, I guess. As I was watching, there were all these little instances like, you know, you're not going to talk about WrestleMania 5, but you're going to do a whole section about how cheap Macho Man was. That doesn't seem necessary. That doesn't seem. That doesn't seem like it adds to anything. Just taking shots, bro. Just taking shots. Well, it is the golden age of wrestling documentaries, and I'm so glad that these things exist at all. Like I'm the WWE's partnership with A&E is like one of the coolest things ever hidden treasures the WWE show where they're looking up all the memorabilia it's just the greatest thing like just getting to see all this stuff I get so jealous that I don't have it in my personal collection but the the hidden treasure show I love that the documentaries are happening you know don't get me wrong I'm just ranting as a macho man fan here but uh dark side of the ring is back too. uh every season I love having uh Jason and Evan on to talk about everything that they're doing. I just think they're doing such a great service for wrestling fans and telling these stories. The Brian Pillman documentary was amazing. And they have 12 more, 11 more, 11 more that they're going to share with us. So uh, I believe that the way they're doing it this year is this is season three. They did Dark Side of the Ring Confidential, which we had uh, uh, our buddy Andrew Goldstein on, the showrunner, to talk about that. Um, But they're going to do, I think, six stories, and then they're going to take a break, and then they're going to do the other six. So we're not it's not like they're going to do 12 weeks in a row. They're going to do the first six stories, which has started uh, on Thursday, and then they're going to take a break, a mid-season break, however long that's going to be. I think it's not determined yet. And then they're going to come back and do the other six. Uh, But if you're not checking it out, check it out. Uh, We talked about uh, a bunch of the topics that are going to be covered this year on Dark Side of the Ring with Jason and Evan. Uh, And here we go. Let's welcome them to the podcast. The not
1: Sam wrestling interview.
0: While well, we are living in the golden age of wrestling documentaries, everywhere you look, we're getting all this knowledge, all these stories. They're all coming to us. And I feel like these two individuals have a lot to do with the, I don't know if it's a Renaissance. Cause I don't know when the previous golden age of wrestling documentaries would be, but <laughs> they've certainly added to this. Jason Eisner, Evan Husney, Dark Side of the Ring Season Three. I mean, what more can I
2: say, guys? <laughs> oh my gosh, what an intro!
0: Right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Well, it really is. The I golden mean, Golden Age. I, I was thinking about that, and it's like you know, with 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 wrestling documentaries, literally everywhere now. You know, I mean, with with Vice, I feel like doubling down, not only because of how many episodes you guys have this season, but also that we double dipped on the uh, on the Confidential Show. Mm. You know, and got the chance to revisit all those, and then of course everything's WWE is doing on A and E, and all the stuff that's popping up on Peacock. It's like literally, there's new wrestling documentaries all the time. Um, And I feel like, not to blow too much smoke up your ass, but Dark Side of the Ring, putting out documentaries that first season on these Mm -hmm. on like you know Bruiser Brody and topics like that, I I think opened up a lot of people's eyes to how much interest there was just in these stories as stories.
2: Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, I, I, I've heard that, you know, from, from. Uh from you know executives you know uh, all across the you know spectrum of television being like well why do people want to why do that many people want to tune in to see a story about Devon Ericks you know mm-hmm. and that being kind of puzzling because i think that is the most highly rated episode of season 1 i could be wrong but i think it is and, and so i think that's kind of just been like well it's because it's the strength of the story it's not necessarily like let's get the biggest name the biggest icon you know or whatever it's just and and for us that's what it was it was like what's the most captivating story that even a non-wrestling fan is going to go, whoa, what? Yeah. And that's kind of where we started.
0: Yeah. I mean, nothing should surprise me anymore after the Herb Abrams uh, doc. <laughs> that's kind of the like uh, linchpin, I feel like. But like, how did yeah. you guys, it's just so great what you guys are doing because you are now at the point where not only are you pitching, but getting made. You're like, okay, season three, it's a hot show. Now we got to follow it up. These have to be good. Do you guys know anything about XPW? Because we're gonna do a movie about XPW. <laughs> we got you. You know, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, do, how, do, how does that? But how do you pitch these things, like XPW, for example, that you know you're going into a boardroom and like the people running <laughs> Vice don't know anything about it. you know XB XPW. Yeah, well, that yeah. that slideshow was pretty pretty captivating. Uh, <laughs> yeah. no. uh, you, you should have seen the this. deck on yeah, XBW. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um,
2: <clears throat> No, I mean, you know, obviously, I think what's what's great about the partnership that we have with Vice is obviously they trust, you know, uh, at this point, you know, the things that you know we can tell, and I think the fact that shows like Herb Abrams, you know, rated well for Vice, you know, and that's like, I mean, obviously. Aside from, I mean, it's a very obscure name in in, in in wrestling, but a great story. And again, it goes back to that. I think that, you know, I'm grateful that the credibility we've built with the show that allows us to be like, all right, we're doing XPW <laughs> for, for this show. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, for us, it's like, you know, that was an episode in particular. I mean, I was not an XPW guy, you know. Yeah. I didn't really watch it, you know, uh, growing up. It uh, definitely the the stories and the legends that you that that you hear about it over the years, um, you know, um, was definitely caught my attention. And then, but seeing the overwhelming number of viewers of ours wanting to see that was like you could couldn't you couldn't ignore the the number of you know XPW or Messiah requests that we got, and it really kind of forced us to be like, okay, 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 <laughs> like we gotta we gotta look at this. And I'm so glad we did because you guys will not believe that when you yeah. say yeah
1: and for us too it's so much like funner to do the more like deep cut kind of stories yeah yeah you know? um because we're you know we're obsessive you know fans of wrestling like history um and being able to introduce people to sides of wrestling you know even just you know casual fans of wrestling to get to introduce them to like a whole other side that they haven't you know gotten to see before yeah
0: yeah, yeah. and i think too like <clears throat> You got this amazing opportunity, right? To like make movies that are telling these wrestling stories on like TV for normies and and like you know, why waste the opportunity on, on stories that we all already know? Like, let's go deep in some of these. Cause like I'm I'm I have still I saw them the other day at my parents' house in my you know, old bedroom. I opened up one of the closets and I just saw a stack of XPW DVDs. I had All of them, like just going through. What was uh, what was the story with XPW that made you realize like we can we can do this? Because obviously you touched on like the New Jack, Vic Grimes stuff in the New Jack Mm -hmm. story, but what what Mm -hmm. was that thing that you were like, oh okay, there's enough here. Like okay, yep yep, we can we can do a movie about this.
2: (laughs) Well, I think it's uh with that story in particular, it's like. There's a lot to cover. Like, There's a lot of possible ways you could tell that story in terms of just like <sighs> the wild, weird world of XPW. There's a lot of, a lot of characters. There's a lot of scandals and weird things to, to talk about. But for us, it's always like, what can you get that's going to be a really compelling, you know, um, firsthand moment you can live in you know because our show obviously has that reenactment portion and you know it has like you know we 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 want to draw you in and and you know and and sort of suck you into that world and um it's hard to not kind of build around you know messiah's Story. Yeah. I mean that that is such a wild story when you think about you know here's the guy who is missing a thumb now, um, you know <laughs> is is crazy. So you know that was one I think you know being because he does feel like also so closely connected to XPW. You know he feels like an XPW star. I mean he's kind of the one of the guys that emerged really out of that. So you can kind of tell you know his experience and 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 the company, but also there's so you know you have you have you know rob black and you have so many just different interesting personalities that came in and out of there and um yeah it's 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 going to be a wild a wild ride that's for
1: sure when we like announced that episode too like the you know i don't get really reached out to many people in the like film industry too much like about the show Uh but when it got announced at xpw that we were covering that story One of my favorite filmmakers, Don Cascarelli, like, reached out to me who did, you know, Phantasm, Beastmaster, Bubba Hotep. And he was at all the old XPW shows. He was, like, (laughs) telling me, like, him and his son went to all the shows in in the high school auditoriums. And, like, it was, like, that like got me really excited too cuz like oh my god like one of my favorite filmmakers is like <laughs> I hope that like I'm covering like an XPW story.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you are we worried at all in the way you covered XPW specifically cuz like when you think about it you're like okay we're covering this story like most of the main players are still around and still kicking and alive and and doing stuff. Rob Black is obviously still around and Messiah sure. is still around and all this stuff and you're like okay. Like, if we say things that piss people off, literally, the story we're telling is that a wrestler (laughs) pissed off a promoter and maybe related some guys broke into his house and cut off his thumb. Like, are we... (laughs) Should we be treading lightly with XPW? I mean, it's
2: it's not. I mean, that is uh, uh, you know alleged. First of all, alleged, affirmed that those are that those events are related in any way. No, Um, but uh, I mean, you know, look, there's been stories we've told uh, on this show. I remember not to just put you on the spot, Jason. But you know, when we did the Dino Bravo story, there were times where we were you know a little freaked out, and Jason had an interesting experience that followed that.
1: Yeah, like I like. (laughs) (laughs) I was, like, a victim of having my identity stolen after we, like, did that episode. And um, they, like, got into my bank account, into my email, and, uh, you know, worked with investigators and, like, found that, like, where it was coming from was in Laval. Like, where Dino Bravo (laughs) and all his operations were going down. And, like... And wow. then I get on I get on the phone like it all happened through my like phone as well too and I'm talking to like <laughs> this guy on the phone and he's a uh, phone company and he's telling me like this is the work of the Montreal mafia <sighs> and I was like oh my god like i'm being targeted (laughs) by the mafia now like like someone doesn't want us to like tell this story but that honestly yeah that sucked because i was it was middle of season two and like i had to we were dealing with crazy deadlines and then having to deal with my identity being stolen was awful
0: yeah so (laughs) especially because it's like all I want to do is make this documentary <clears throat> about Dino Bravo right now.
2: Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm just trying to put over Dino here, guys. Like what are you oh, doing?
0: Just trying yeah. to get a Dino Bravo action figure made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goddamn. Yeah. Yeah, do you look yeah, at that and you're true. like Brr. there's a Dino yeah. Bravo action figure being made now. It's like, come on guys. Let's get some of yeah. that cut coming our way. Like, clearly, the, yeah, yeah. we put him over, okay, you know. How you know many sleepless
2: nights? You know how many sleepless nights there were trying to make this Dino doc? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah a- but, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, we had our car broken into in the Dino oh, episode, you know. So, we, we, yeah, we've had some moments where it's like, oh, you know, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, at least you know we're you, you got to do the due diligence and you know we always try and show all sides of the story and, and be as understanding as we can so you know you yeah know, it's, it's it's yeah so yeah hopefully 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 we'll we'll uh, make it out uh, okay
0: the other one that i was super excited about is fmw i think i texted one of you guys after you were on the show last time asking you to do an Onita documentary i i've asked multiple people to oh. do Onita documentaries so like i was really yeah. excited yeah yeah <laughs> when fmw yeah, was, was there uh,
2: Oh, I mean, oh man, uh, I uh, my lockdown, like during the first big epic lockdown of last year, my whole viewing was, there's a guy named Brett out there who's the fmw historian and he runs like an instagram he's got a website you know that's amazing and you go on the website and he's got like here's my top 100 fmw matches in order and it's amazing because you go i was making my way through and like yeah he's pretty he's right you know yeah (laughs) you know and uh but that was my lockdown quarantine viewing was going through fmw and just being like jesus christ this is the best some of the best wrestling I've ever seen, oh. because, because not only just like, I mean, you talk about the women's matches are unbelievable. You talk about, you know, and of course, as filmmakers, it's the most successful cinematic wrestling I've ever seen. And I don't yeah. just mean in the terms of like Undertaker's WrestleMania cinema match, whatever they call it. Um, Because this is all of that, but in front of like, you know, 30, 40,000 people at Kawasaki, you know, that's what's so cool about it, is that they're able to make those matches feel so cinematic, like Admits a giant crowd, and like when you watch the Terry Funk and Onita first exploding ring match, it's not just that there's an exploding ring why it's amazing. It's also amazing because of the emotion, and you have like a character like Onita rushing in there to save his master, you know, or you know save his, you know save save the guy that really inspired all of this, and he you know he's my hero, and I gotta I gotta wake him up before he explodes to death, and then of course after that you just it's just these two guys you know in arm in arm marching to the back with tears in their eyes and there's fog and smoke everywhere. And there's amazing, beautiful, emotional Japanese guitar solo work (laughs) happening. And that's underlying it all. And that to me is just someone thinking about the production of wrestling on a way that no one else is, you know, and, or like, Let's just put a ring in a body of water and have wrestlers take fucking boats out to the ring. The best, the best. Like, give me that action figure playset. While we're talking about action figures, yeah. Anyway, um, so for me, it's like this one to do this was just like an opportunity. Obviously, there's an amazing human story in the Onita saga, and of course, what happened after. uh, You know, um, after um, Onita handed the company over to the ring announcer there's a whole other saga there that's an, a fascinating human story but this is a real kind of also opportunity that i just want to show people fmw you know yeah. like pl- like check it out like so seriously cool.
1: <clears throat> and yeah and speaking of your shirt there the texas chainsaw massacre you got Leatherface, that you know
0: mm. is yeah
1: in fmw like
0: yeah how cool is that <laughs> like it's yeah yeah Leatherface, face freddie would pop up from time to time yeah, like yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> they'd all be there God. yeah it's so cool yeah, I, I I and I think like it's so I, I thought it was so funny that XPW and FMW were both on this list cuz I feel like XPW, I feel like deathmatch wrestling gets a bad rep because of the type of deathmatch wrestling, no disrespect, it, you know, that uh, a lot of the XPW deathmatches were which is like very yeah. little emotion, very little storytelling, just like, you know, just having a barbed wire match for the sake of a barbed wire match or having weapons for the sake of weapons, like I really feel and FMW did this a lot that when you when you do these death matches and you tell those stories very dramatically and like in the timing and and the way these competitors are are trying to avoid the weapons not no selling not like <laughs> exactly throwing like like oh my god like <clears throat> this could kill me if I touch it I got I got to stay away from it like that to me mm-hmm. is how I got sucked in to that and i felt like Mm -hmm. fmw was like the king of doing matches like
2: that oh yeah like you you go back and you watch the uh uh the uh toyota versus uh megumi Ah man, I'm blowing it. Kodo uh, match. I mm-hmm. think you watch that one, which I think tops Brett's list on his FMW website is the number one match of all of FMW, which is uh, this women's match. That's a barbed wire exploding barbed wire yeah. match. And it's amazing because you see the philosophy uh, that they, that they put into those matches. Like they are, it's not just, you know, spot fest. If you know what people say, it is literally working with the barbed wire in a, yeah. in a way that uses the, that, that maximizes the storytelling potential of it. And, and of course it's drawing 20, 30,000 people or whatever. So it's just really exciting. It's just such, it's amazing wrestling.
1: Yeah. Cause I can't deal with like the gory aspect of deathmatch wrestling, but it, it, <laughs> like you said, Sam, like y- using it as like a story and like, it's like raising the stakes, you know, that's like right. Oh, FMW like really made it work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I always felt like Mr. Pogo, Never got any love in the states. Like so many people don't know who that guy is. Like a lot of people know who Onita is, but people don't know who Mr. Pogo is. And I was like, like in high school, I took a hacksaw, Jim Duggan Hasbro, and customized it so I could have a Mr. Pogo figure. (laughs) (laughs) That's a
2: good choice. A good choice for a Pogo for sure. Yeah. 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 And so
0: I'm assuming that the. Mr. Pogo has some has some screen time. Uh, in, oh in the yeah, show. He'll,
2: yeah. We'll, we'll we'll definitely make sure he gets in there. Also for me too, like growing up. He- obviously watching a lot of ecw you know is where i was exposed to um, masato tanaka and mike awesome and yeah I still hold their matches as some of the best you know um for me when i was growing up i mean that, those were the match the heat wave matches with those guys or even the you know one night stand like those matches i would be showing friends like who don't really get or like wrestling like watch this shit you know and so it's like those two guys obviously huge part of fmw um and just amazing matches so exciting Exhilarating, amazing matches and and yeah it's amazing there's a lot a lot, lot of talent came out of that uh that uh company
0: do you guys get into the uh wwe like the fact because there's that photo that exists i don't know if you've seen it that's like vince mcmahon and onita together and like i think bruce pritchard <laughs> yeah. has like talked on his podcast about the fact that there was like uh maybe like a conversation at some point going like what is this and then they were like nah like i don't know how no, much story there yeah, is Yeah, i don't
2: yeah, I I've I've sort of <clears throat> heard that too. I, I, I don't think we had anybody really speak about it for our episode that I'm remembering. But uh yeah, I mean, could you imagine that?
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean Yeah wild. And while we're I guess I guess I didn't even while we're on the time there's a lot of deathmatch influence in uh in this season, I guess, because this mm-hmm. this excited me. And I told you I found out because uh, David Arquette let the cat has a right. bag. Yeah. <laughs> that that uh, Nick Gage he spoiled all of season three. Yes, the whole thing. Three. Yep. Yeah. Nick, uh. Nick Gage <laughs> is uh, Nick Gage is getting his own show. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, like I've I've I Nick Gage. Like obviously, I knew who Nick Gage was, but uh, year I probably in like two thousand eight, maybe. I was doing, like, uh, commentary at this indie uh, group called Jersey All Pro, and Nick Gage was on every show, and, like, I swear to God, this was before, like, he went to jail yeah. for bank robbery or whatever, and, like, even mm-hmm. then, I was a grown-ass man. Like, I was an adult, mm-hmm. and I was I had those, like, I'm scared of that guy feelings that you have totally. when you're a kid, you know, and the heels are really playing heel, and you're like, I'm scared of him. Like, I was like, I don't want to... I don't want to do a promo with Nick Gage. Like, I think, I think he's the real deal.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what's interesting for us too. It's like, you know, when we're, it's a show, you know, our thesis in a lot of ways always kind of goes between the blurred lines of like the character and the gimmick and, you know, where does it separate Mm -hmm. and, you know, who's the real person and between the gimmick. But with like Nick Gage, it's like, like you said, it's like he is for real. Like he there doesn't seem to be a separation. It just seems to be he is Nick Gage, you know? And that like I didn't know. Well, he a lot bring, about it. Sorry. I was
2: just gonna say I was just gonna say he he brings that kind of kayfabe philosophy or the old time like he yeah. respects he respects the old traditions of wrestling. You know, which is interesting that he that he kind of brings into the the deathmatch world. Like he doesn't want to. I think even in our interview, as you'll see, like he didn't want to like fully break kayfabe. Sorry to interrupt you.
1: No, no, I was just gonna say like he's like someone that you can, you just you believe in. And and for us, like you know, trying to dissect it, you know, it it was it was difficult. Like you said, because he doesn't want to like you know he is guarded to like an extent. But I feel our show is going to like show another side of him too. That like, Mm -hmm. like for me, like I just, I fell in love with him as like a person, you know, um, who, you know, deals with a lot of things that I think a lot of people could, you know, relate to in a way. And, but you know, his, his in-ring stuff is just so unbelievable. And for me, it's like really hard to watch, but (laughs) he's like, he, like he, in his promos, he's just like, he, he is he, you know, he's, like, down to, like, die. Like, he says he's down to, like, die, you know, for for his performance. And, like, when you watch, like, that tournament of death where he actually died, you know, he, he died for several minutes when they were uh, – the paramedics were trying to get him to the hospital. Oh, it's like, yeah. you know, to go to a show and, and see that there is a guy who is, like, willing to do that, that to me, like, raises stakes, like, on another kind of level. It's like you go to a show and – you don't know what to expect. Like he will, he could take it to lengths that you didn't think were possible.
2: Well, it's like, like kind of like, dare I say like Gigi Allen vibes, you know, a little bit, yeah. you yeah. know, in terms of like, <laughs> you know, like what am I, well, especially like, I remember <clears throat> after uh, the first rough <sighs> ish cut of that episode that I remember when like it it was just like you know there was no standards and practices hadn't seen the episode yet you know like it was the unfiltered just footage from the tournament of death and everything I was like this is a snuff film like this <laughs> I am this is a horrifying thing and I'm like looking up these guys i would never heard of because I wasn't a really big deathmatch guy growing <laughs> up ECW sure but like just on that level um, so I'm like I don't know who Thumbtack Jack is you know I'm like <laughs> Got to figure out who Thumbtack Jack is and you go look him up on YouTube. And he's like, gets syringes coming in and out of his face, you know. And these mad. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, you know. But like, watching all that shit was in the first cut, you know. And I'm just like, this is a fucking snuff film we're making, guys. Like, we got to be careful. Um, and, and this is, this is, uh, obviously, standards and practices came back and was like, no, 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 you know, like when we first submitted a lot of that shit. So, but still, it's an anxiety inducing ride. Uh, that episode um but also just like kind of interesting for us because our most contemporary story we've ever done um and also it has a quality and it's not the only episode this season too that has the quality of really capturing i think some a a a wrestler in in a moment in time where i think that nick gage's story is not finished Uh you know in some ways it's like you know he's got many chapters left um and i feel like uh where most of the times the stories we told like you know there is a clear end and so i think it's interesting for us to kind of cover stories where you're sort of seeing okay here's what he's been through but it's also like you know this is a very specific moment in time for him and and where is it going to go from here i don't know.
0: You know yeah yeah it's really interesting i mean it's really interesting timing for that especially because like a couple weeks ago you know he had to stare down with mox yeah uh and it's like this is this is very good timing. This is this is very good timing. It's for, very
2: good timing, and, and I mean I mean if I were Brett Lauderdale promote you know promoter of GCW, yeah, I probably do the same. You know? Yeah, it's like let's why not? And I also think too, it's it's cool because obviously the. the the fo- it was really cool and that matched because I, I watched it uh as much as i you know that stuff is hard for me to watch i did watch it because you know and it was cool to see in that moment it was like brett lauderdale nick gage john moxley in one ring and it's like that is kind of the episode more or less is those those you know there, there's, there's a few more voices of course in the episode but like you know that's predominantly the voices in that show that's course, awesome yeah, wow the episode comes to life you know that's so cool
0: yeah you also yeah. think about, like, you hear stories about people who don't psychologically get over injuries, like people who physically recover from injuries, but they don't really get over it. Like, they're always scared to do certain moves again, or they just never feel because it's like the injury just kind yeah. of shatters your psyche. And, like, I can't imagine. No, I, I I died, passed away doing this, and then I came back to life, and then I kept doing it.
2: I'd be like, well, it's crazy. That's that's part yeah. of the Nick Gage psychology that we examine <clears throat> in the episode because I remember specifically asking him and also Nick Gage was the very first interview I did for season three, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember asking him about that and it's like, uh, you know, w- like, was there ever a time where like that was it for you? And he's like, oh, no, bro, I don't go out like that. (laughs) no i'm not going out like that you know and so it's just like you know it's like well how are you going out you know like what is it going to be like you know yeah
1: (laughs) it's like i i yeah there's a part of me that like i don't know there's like artists that like you just you can't trust trust in a way that like makes it more intense when you watch their stuff right favorite my favorite filmmakers are the ones that do things that like that are unexpected and like i can't you know, I go into their films and I can't trust where they're going to take me. It's like the same with like Nick gauge I'm attracted to that. Same with there's lots of other wrestlers like that too. That there's a sense of like, I don't know what I'm going to see. Like I could see the most insane, horrific thing I've ever seen. Or you know, it's just uh, that adds a whole other level of suspense to watching wrestling.
0: Yeah, totally. yeah. And I think you have to. I mean, it's the same way with filmmaking. Like you have to. There are certain filmmakers that you just have to take them. From for their vision and just either ride with them or not ride with them like if like you, yep. the, there are other filmmakers that if they made the exact same choices you'd be like that movie sucked yeah, but because yeah, totally, it's them totally. and you know that they're just doing what's in their heart like this is just this is what they wanted on the screen there's a respect that you have for that because it's, it's them it's their vision they're not trying yeah, to do yeah. anything except what they had in their head Totally, but, and I guess that's that's mm-hmm. Nick Gage too. He's not thinking like, okay, but what are the long term ramifications of doing yeah. this? He's just like, how badass would it be if this were a thing that happened? I should do yeah. it. Yeah,
1: very true. Short
0: term, yeah, short term planner. Yeah. yeah, but then these things, <laughs> the lovable ex- short term planner. But <laughs> then yeah. these things exist. These things, like if it weren't for Nick Gage, the things that Nick Gage has done would not exist. Nobody else would do them. They wouldn't be here. So that's yeah. what he's given I, us.
2: I just sincerely hope, and I know, Jason, you've said it too, it's like, out of the Nick Gage episode, like, I'm, like, obviously, dude is over, you know, in the context of the wrestling world, like, for those that know Nick Gage, he's extremely over, and in the episode, the point is made that, like, you know, I think Vince McMahon or WWE or or whomever would... would kill to have somebody with that sort of level of connection with his fans you know I mean that guy has a real tangible sense of being over you know and it's like uh, I just hope out of the outcome of this episode that like you know he does get a a, a bigger shot, you know? Um, And, you know, because I think, I think, you know, because the guy doesn't have to work because I know from my standards and practices uh, experience with our show that not a lot of GCW can make cable airwaves. (laughs) But... I do think you know Nick is versatile enough to be able to work in many different styles. Um, Like he, he is, you know, he knows what he's doing, and I think it'd be really cool to see him um, in another, uh, like hitting the next level. You know, Um, that'd be cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think if you look at like what Eddie Kingston has done in AEW, I was just gonna say, and the fact that like you know, I've been a fan of Eddie Kingston for forever on the on the East Coast Indies, and that's one of those guys that I think, you know, the 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 powers that be would say, well, that works. On, on that small level but that would never work on a big level and i'm sitting there going like he's mm. like one of if not the best guys in aew like the otherwise, wise a, absolutely yeah I and mean, right and dude. it's like yeah it almost gets to the yeah. point where he's good in the ring but it doesn't he doesn't have to be good in the ring because he's no. already mm. talked to you there and yeah. i i think you're right i think if nick gage Very were to believable. yeah if nick gage were to pop up in WWE or even in NXT or something like that, just being completely counter to anything that we're used to, but being believable. It's not like it's not, you don't need to bring all the weapons and a sickle and a, and and a bed of nails and just being, being believable and being violent in that way. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I, I think it would be amazing.
2: And it would be great. And I think also for longevity, it's good. And I also think, I think, I think AEW probably is the right, the best home for him because, um, I mean, yeah, Eddie Kingston. I could see him with Eddie Kingston having a run. I could see him with you know, definitely Moxley. I mean we're about to see that, you know, I could definitely see that there. I could see a lot of different stuff. I think he's just he's such a good believable personality and and promo that I think I think it would work.
1: Yeah, guys like him and Nick Gage, they just have this level of charisma that you can't like manufacture. It's like it's not something you're gonna get in like a development like program at all. No, yeah.
2: No. They've They've lived life.
1: Yeah, yeah that's like what reminds me of like some of the wrestlers that we grew up like loving as well too there's just like there's this believability about their personality and charisma that you just you, f- you believe it you know and those two guys eddie and nick you, you just do They're they're I, yeah. I fully believe
0: them how did they've, you they've lived yeah oh sorry go ahead. no no you go ahead
2: I was just going to say th- they both have lived life and you can see that and I think yes. that's one of the reasons why wrestlers of say a Jake the Snake Roberts guys lived life you know and like you see it on him and and, and that's what he uses to perform just like a, a, a an amazing actor could too. it's like yeah. you know and, and and I think that's something that's kind of missing you know is like and that's what's so fascinating about wrestling from back in the day because it's like you would take guys out of their wild life and, and then bring them into the world of wrestling and they just have to be who they are just a little bit cranked up and you know nick and eddie and those guys they fit that mold for sure you know just like this is who they are but it's a little cranked up you know
0: yeah. And sometimes it's nice to take some of that polish off too. Like it's good to have a slick yes. polished product, but sometimes it's nice to bring something in where you're like, that's not slick. Like that's not yeah. polished. Like that's real. That's real life. Yeah.
1: That's that's a, yeah, there's the, like, a, yeah like an unhinged Austin. Yeah. Or um, a Brian Pillman. You know? Yes. Like, it was, yeah. It was like breaking the fourth wall and stuff. You know, it's just like there's this unhinged um, thing about it that just makes you want lean in even more, you know, cause they're, they're, they're breaking the norm
2: going off script yeah yeah
0: i mean i gotta say about the brian pillman episode like i was a fan of brian pillman jr as a wrestler before like i was like yeah i I like what he's doing i think he's paying tribute in the right way like i don't i think it could be hokey i think the way he does it it is not hokey i think the mullet is actually like cool and and it kind of fits into that sort of nostalgic but new culture that that i think is actually really cool right now but like man Especially episode two, when he starts talking about kind of what happened in his life after Brian wasn't with us anymore. Like, I don't know, man. There's something... Because, like, a lot of people have told sad stories on on your docs, but, like, there's something about the, the relatability and the genuine way that that kid comes across on that show that I was like... Like, I wanted to... Get, reach through the television set and give him a hug and go like and it also made me go like if, if you're making me feel that like that translates I feel like after that I mean he could be the biggest star in wrestling I mean he, he's he's I, I thought so highly of him uh, me too after that yeah. after that show. Me too.
2: Um, And I think what's great is just that, like you know, he's got such a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. Uh, That mullet is incredible. It's one of the best (laughs) in the business. Um, But uh, no, no, no. All jokes aside, I was just so proud of him too after that interview, and I still remain to be. It's like he did such a he's such an amazing job. But I think that the things that he said in that at that end, especially about with regards to his relationship to his mother, I think is something that is. Going to be so relatable and so uh, inspiring, and even like has an effect on me. You know, just like I, I can like there's aspects to um, everything he was talking about in that. Piece and I think it's like wow it's just it's so um yeah just like real like hats off to him like you know Brian, Brian Jr I just I just I, I I just I just think the world of and I just I just really hope that out of this too like you know we're gonna see the rise of him I would love to see that but man you know just, just from the heart true sincere from the heart you know yeah and I I, I love to see that
0: I also like coming off of that two parter like I've always been a huge Brian Pillman fan I was so glad that it was a part of this season but. Mm-hmm and it it wasn't just the loose cannon character. Like, I was a huge Hollywood Blondes fan. I was big in, like, like I wasn't even that big of a WCW fan, and I was like, no, the Hollywood Blondes is like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that that's, that's... The, there was stuff, like, the Hollywood Blondes, I was like, that's the truth. Meanwhile, it's a guy from Cincinnati and a guy from Texas. Neither one of them look like movie <laughs> stars, and you're like, I don't... Like, the gimmick doesn't make any sense, but for that's... some reason, it's like, you it's the best tag team in WCW. Um, yeah, but, totally. It
1: almost... Even the, it not making sense, because I, I get that, you know, like they didn't look like Hollywood like actors, but no. that almost kind of adds to the, the heel. Yeah. Because they're heels. Right? Yeah. So I, I, it made me even like, kind like... Of
0: more like <laughs> mad at them. <laughs> like That's how, amazing. Like how beautiful Bobby Eaton was not particularly handsome. Like, I love that. <laughs> <Yeah>. So great. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful Bobby. And it's like. What? <laughs> <I don't
2: know>. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> but amazing wrestler, hey! I incredible wrestler, oh, incredible wrestler, yeah! yeah.
0: And and yeah, and that's to say, like the gimmick was even better. It was because of who it was. Fits. But like, uh, and speaking yeah. of great mullets, um, oh! <laughs> but yeah. I, I also like Probably. it wasn't until it really clicked in watching that that I was like, well, made Brian Pillman special wasn't just because I feel like we concentrate so much on the loose cannon. And concentrating mm-hmm. so much on that he worked the business. And by the way, that NFL strength coach is like a star. <laughs> a star. Him was. <laughs> I mean, oh. amazing. But, like, the fact that Pillman, he got over doing everything. Like, Flying Brian was over, like, P- Flying Brian was a star in WCW, he got over doing Flying Brian, and then he got over as the Hollywood Blonde, and then he got over as the Loose Cannon, and then he got over in the Heart Foundation, like, there was no point, like, a lot of times, like even when you're talking about Steve Austin it's like, stunning mm-hmm. Steve, like, okay, that's cool, Hollywood Blondes is great, Ringmaster, not so much, okay, here comes Stone Cold, and it's like, you're going on these ebbs and flows, and like, for Pillman, yeah, some things were over more than others but, like, everything was over. Yeah. <laughs> And the Pullman's got a gun, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. P-
2: Pillman's got a gun thing too. is so wild in hindsight. Uh, amazing, but it's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, it is amazing. Like, it it is. It's so it's so wild. And and I know Steve still thinks really highly of that angle because you know he says in the he says in the episode um, about how uh, <clears throat> you know that he wants to do things that are always real and gritty and push the boundaries and all that stuff. And that's what all would happen, you know, after that. And it's amazing to see how. Back in the context of, I mean, that's still the old WWF logo. That wasn't that still like the, yeah, it was still block letters. Time? Oh
0: yeah, that was Black letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. this
2: is like you know we're talking like you know you'd see like doink and shit on TV, right? At oh time yeah, still. Yeah. yeah, and then you know dudes whipping a gun out like and doinks on next. You know? like, <laughs> that's like fucking. That's that's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. Know? Yeah.
1: There was also something about Brian too because like I've gone through <clears throat> thousands of hours of archival footage for these all these shows but when you watch like brian like um like whenever he like comes to the camera or he grabs the camera and he stares down the camera he like knows to look like just directly down the lens of it in such a way that like i felt like other wrestlers didn't quite like they would look at the camera but the way it like brian knew that he had to like reach in there into the you know into the tv to like really yeah. grab people's attention, you know, that to me, really floors me.
2: Yeah. Well, one thing, one thing that really just impressed the shit out of me about Brian and Kim Wood, you know, the NFL strength coach and everything, just because, we're you know, we're talking movies too here. But one thing that was so cool to me to like learn is like, you know, when I showed up to Kim Wood's house, I think there was like a lot of like, okay, that this kid here, you know, and his hair and, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> like he, there was I, definitely, he was sizing me up. And then sure. it was like trying to tell me about like how, no, Brian was really the smart guy and he was super well-read and he was watched tons of movies and he absorbed, he was just like a sponge absorbing different things throughout his whole life. And then he's like, um, and Brian liked this movie, uh, House of Games, you know, and I'm just like, oh, it's one of my favorite. Movies. I love that movie. It's incredible. You know, and he's like, you know, House of Games, you know, so <laughs> Then we can connect. But House of Games is so crucial because in that moment when Bischoff is kind of denying that, you know, to, for anyone to say that I was being worked in this, you know, in this way, it would be totally false. And then Kim comes in with like one of the best lines of the show where he's like, you know, the best way to break up with a woman is think you know, is to make them think it's their idea. Yeah. And it's like so interesting because that is the concept of this movie House of Games, which I, I'm always wondering if that really spoke to Brian, because that's you know, it's a David Mamet movie about a ring of con men, and uh, this outsider, she's a uh, an author, journalist, she gets sucked into this world of con men and thinks she's in the inner circle and thinks she's believing that she's. He's going to be writing this amazing book about the inner workings of con men. But then they just totally use her for a con and just, you know, discard her, you know, and and totally just freaking worked her. And that's the movie. And I wonder if that's, you know, made such an impression on him. It must have at that time to be like, okay, now I know how to manipulate all of this. And he's thinking about this business on a level that nobody is, you know, and that to me is just like, wow, man, he was really thinking about it in a different way.
1: It's funny too. We hear every once in a while, like wrestlers back then, like I don't know if that's still the case, they were watching movies. They were like watching movies and taking inspiration from movie characters and Leatherface story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <A supreme example. laughs>
2: I know I'm fucking fucking <laughs> <laughs> around. <clears throat>
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, now you probably have people that are I mean, video games are so narrative now and they're so popular among wrestlers that you've probably got <laughs> Influ- i mean i don't know video the video game world like that but i'm sure like xavier woods is figuring out ways to like you know weave kind of video game narrative mm-hmm. into his own narratives and stuff like that
1: you should you know even like oh. uh, it, it, it's a weird sidetrack here but in the brian pillman part two story it was like you hear that story of like when uh, Brian oh. Pillman jr is um living with his mom and his the stepfather uh, boyfriend yeah. It was like really abusive towards him and you know for brian he was kind of confined to a room and didn't really have any friends or wasn't taught any sports growing up but he had his nintendo gamecube right to be his like a universe that he could escape into and yeah. um you, I don't want to spoil it, but something, like, happens to that. And, like, at one point, that wasn't even going to be in the show. But we thought, like, that is something, you know, that, like, you know, we can obviously, like, relate to. But I think, like, a lot of people out there could, you know, that's just an eye-opening moment. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, you know, and who, you know, maybe from abusive households, kids that are, are escaping into, you know, video games and, you know. it's like
0: Yeah, I mean, I think even... The way you guys and I, like, the way we treat wrestling, it's, like, there's a reason we're so obsessed with it. Like, it's an escape. Like, we love going into that world. Like, I mean, that's the—that's a universal thing. Like, you can say, ah, oh, video games are stupid, and then, like, spend two hours talking about FMW, and it's, like, how do you not see that this is the <laughs> same thing first off get us that video game
2: made somebody (laughs) Um, yeah uh second of all yeah i mean you know nine times out of ten when we interview these wrestlers you know when we're interviewing you know it's either we had their kid or their kid we had their kid we had their action figure Mm -hmm. as a kid Mm -hmm. or i played as you on wcw nwo revenge right you know so my connection is like you know like either i beat you you know, when my friend played as you or I played as you and kick some ass, you know, so our connection to a lot of these to a lot of these you know, wrestlers are through video games yeah. and, and action figures. And that's just a huge part of our generation. Yeah. And how we related to to wrestling growing up. You know, those games were awesome, too, by the way.
0: Oh, yeah. So like one way that I was exposed to wrestlers and I actually talked to uh, Andrew Goldstein about this, who was the uh, showrunner on the Confidential show about how. uh Uh, magazines uh, when I was a kid exposed me to a lot of guys and like there are a lot of guys that I would never see wrestle except I saw their pictures in magazines and I knew they were awesome because of the magazines and one of those people was Bruiser Bedlam and like so I always knew who he was but I never knew him you know I never like he was just how does uh, how how did you guys end up kind of coming across the Bruiser Bedlam story and deciding on that one as one to tell this season
2: well, it was always like you heard um, over the course of making the show, you heard kind of just the 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 log line, like you know, here's wrestler who might have blown up police station. You know, was the <laughs> was the log line, and it was that always? I mean, how could you ignore that? It's just yeah. so like you know absurd. Um, but uh, so some fans had uh, or some viewers of the show had you know um, suggested that over the years, but it was really like when we got the. Season three train rolling, it was, uh, I I think I was calling Jim Cornette about uh, just being in the Pillman episode. Um, and then he said he was like, uh, okay, you guys, you gotta do this time around, it's time. You gotta do Bruiser Bedloom, aka Johnny K9. I need to know the truth of this story. So it is a special request from um so from from Cornet. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So so he he made the request, and I'm so glad that he did because that episode was again. Every season we have our handful episodes that are just discovery pieces that we don't know much going in. Everything's new. The interviews are exhilarating. And this is definitely that. And it's just such an interesting story about, for those who don't know, I mean, you know, he was a jobber in the WWF as Johnny K-9, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s and around the Ontario area when, when uh, WWF would come through. But then he gets a run with Jim Cornette at Smoky Mountain Wrestling and Jim rebrands him as Bruiser Bedlam this just huge monster heel guy and then um and then you know after about a year of that run he kind of faded away but he was living this whole other secret life as a chapter president of the Satan's Choice motorcycle gang in Hamilton, Ontario, raising a bunch of hell, and um, you know, is 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 alleged to have been part of blowing up a police station, as I said, but also a double homicide. Uh, he was alleged to have been a part of, uh, never never found, never convicted or whatever on that. But still, a lot of rumors flying around. So we interviewed like former uh, a former biker gang member. We interviewed you know uh, b- journalists, members of the police who were hunting after him for many years, and his former wife. And it's just a sweeping sort of like true crime biker gang wrestling jobber story that's just yeah one of my more exciting to 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 drop for sure yeah and season. what's
1: cool about him too is like you know a lot of the cases are our stories are involving uh, a wrestler that you know they have their gimmick life and their 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 home their home personal life with johnny canine it's like there's the the wrestler and then there's like the biker gang leader and then there's like this really goofy like guy that everyone seems to just love and seems to be this like you know, lovable goofball. Eccentric
2: teddy bear, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. But then there's like these, you know these two other extreme live lives that he's like living. So that was really fascinating. And I think it's, yeah, one of oh, Evan and I's like favorite episodes from, from the season. It's
2: awesome. definitely my favorite reenactment so far. I'll say that yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah.
1: they were the funniest ones to do. Like, and even like, cause we get some interesting background performers and like, we were doing this scene where the Johnny canine character is getting inducted <laughs> into the, Satan's choice to the Satan's choice, like biker gang, and they're going to give him his vest, you know, and it's like they're presenting him with his colors. And so I'm setting up the shot and I'm getting this one biker to put it on him. And and uh, all of a sudden, this background performer who is a biker in the scene, he's like, I've seen this happen before and i was like what do you you mean i've I've seen this go down i've been to one of these i was like whoa you've been to one of these ceremonies and the ad tried to get him to shut up and i was like no 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 let let this man speak he grabs the vest and he like pulls it up he's like all right when i fucking show you this vest this is the greatest day of your Fucking life. All
0: right. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so fun to do. Oh, that's so oh, God. That's so great. Um I mean we could spend another hour talking about more of these episodes. I'm so glad that you're doing Collision in Korea. That's one of those that mm. like you know, I've I've kind of every time I've interviewed Eric Bischoff I have a question or two for him, but I've always wanted to just sit down. And talk to him strictly because I'm fascinated by anybody that's been to North Korea at all. Like anybody that's been on a trip to North Korea. I'm like, let's talk for a while and just tell me what that world is like. So the idea that there was a wrestling show over there, I can't wait for the idea that idea one. That
2: Scott Norton was over in North Korea is pretty wild. <laughs> <Yeah>. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Amazing.
0: Um, Taking
1: yeah. a busload of wrestlers to North Korea that probably don't even really know what knew what North Korea was all about at the time either. You know?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of the premise of the episode. Is like in over their head. Like, it's mostly from the American wrestler's point of view of like being completely in over their head and and not knowing where they are and 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 learning very quickly where they are. And um and Scott Norton basically just to put a you know just to to um talk about the episode for a second yeah you know, Scott Norton was just like um you know, it was like being in the twilight zone you know and as soon as he said that that just like everything clicked for us. And we're like, okay, we're leaning into that. So this episode is, is the twilight zone version of dark side of the ring. So like all the music has the Bernard Herman sweeping (laughs) strings and everything is a little off and surreal and it's like a dream. We tried to make it all feel like this was some crazy dream that happened that didn't really happen, but it did, which is the crazy part.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love that. Not only did you figure out a way to get Scott flash Norton on the show but once you got him on, he actually inspired the entire episode. Yeah. <laughs> like that's Scott Norton. Oh man, dude,
2: Scott Norton, uh Incredible. great great interview, great guy. And his interview is really his really great in this episode. And um and, and he yeah. and he, he really wanted to he was su- super happy to do it, wanted to nail it. You know, he was he was very prepared and, and really wanted to uh do the story justice, which he did. I mean, yeah. of course. That's
1: cool. Well, kind of- like I what I love too is like he is, you know, I just remember him as such a monster of a wrestler, like on screen. Like yeah. such a like a beast. And to see him be vulnerable, you know, and talk about being scared and like I think our interview like <laughs> brings him back and like you can know, tell, like, you know, he was afraid for his life. And so that's, to me, it's like seeing the toughest guy who's best friends with Hawk, you know, being like scared for his life. Like, yeah, it's, uh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, you guys have, I guess you have 14 episodes, 13 topics, right? Uh, yeah. this season for Dark Side of the Ring, which is just amazing. You know, I already bought the whole season on uh on Apple, so that no matter when I w- I want it, I could just be up at two o'clock in the morning and just start scrolling through topics once they air and and <laughs> uh, find everything. But it's on uh, Vice, of course, Thursday nights. Uh, yeah, for the next thirteen weeks, I guess, which is amazing. Do you have anything? Do you have anything in the chamber? Because now okay third season, like you know, you've done. Uh, 20 plus episodes, if not more. Like, are there not that you have to tell me necessarily if you don't want to, but are there topics that you're like, I'm still itching for that one? I'm still itching, like that, that, not it, that one specific thing, like we got to do this. <laughs>
1: yeah there there definitely are like there's some you know we have to keep kind of close to our chest of course want to be very sensitive to you know the family members and be the first to kind of reach out about them but yeah there, you know there's some that have been since the very first season that you know we've wanted to try and do and it just either wasn't the right time or we couldn't get the access but like one that we've wanted to do um is a story about gentleman chris adams yes and um with our season one, we kind of consider the Bruiser Brody and the Von Eric and Gino Hernandez episode to be this like Texas trilogy that we created, you know, that's based on yeah. that, the world class championship sort of uh, sort of world, you know. And so, yeah, we always wanted to uh, it's like tell the fourth story, which really felt like, or there's definitely more. We'd love to do, you know, the Freebird story. We can get into that too. But um, like Chris Adams, like whenever his name would come up while making all three seasons of the show, whenever his name would show up, he like someone would have like the craziest story about him. Like you would just hear how he like super kick some bartender in the face and knocked out his eyeball in Israel, <laughs> they <had> to, like, <laughs> smuggle him back to America in the middle of the night. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's so many like insane stories like that. And then when you hear about the, like how he, uh, his life ended and his best friend, um, uh, came out of self defense, it's just, you know it's just unbelievable story it is kind of crazy that we haven't gotten to it yet but i feel you know that's just one we you know we've been wanting to
0: tell
2: got to keep know. a few in the chamber yeah and, you know got if, to if
1: another season happens that'd be great
0: i love that uh you have your own like kevin smith has his jay and silent bob universe you have your own world-class <laughs> universe that yeah you have this, this little yeah, pocket here definitely yeah. um yeah. and also like, I- Uh, real quick compliment too. it was the first time the Brian Pillman episode was the first time that uh, I've seen the Steve Austin studio shot in a way where you could see the door to like the other room in his house. And it really brought home like bro just has this Steve Austin bar and studio in his house. That's, that's incredible. It's in that.
2: Yeah. (laughs) He's got like a house behind his house with it in there, which is amazing. And, and uh, yeah, he actually closed that door and I was like, leave it open. Genius. You know? Genius <laughs> move. Genius move. I love
0: it. I love it and Not it's separated. Not to put myself over or anything, yeah. but No, you just you're genius. Open, bro. You're genius. Yeah. What can I tell you? I think it was like the laundry room or something. <laughs> no, it was a kitchen. It was a kitchen. <laughs> oh, okay. well yeah. Jason, Evan, you guys are doing the lords work. Uh, I know I don't I every wrestling fan in the world is so happy that you guys are doing uh this series and that it continues and I know we're all obsessed with it and we all love it. So thank you guys and I can't wait to uh Continue. I can't wait to watch literally every episode this season. So, thank you guys. It's oh, always thanks, fun man. talking to you.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.
1: Read, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam.